Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hey, what's up? My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I'm the host of the Clumsy Theosis podcast, and I'm really excited you're here today, like I am every episode. But that's because we have a lot of really awesome Christ-filled, spirit-filled things to talk about. And today we are continuing our series on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. You're familiar with that saying, the armor of God. Well, if you're not, it's in chapter 6 of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, specifically verses 10 through 20. The point here is that spiritual warfare is real. The armor of God is real. It's not just a cute little concept when you're reading scripture. And we are going to learn how to use each of the pieces in our armor because God gave them to us for a reason and it's up to us and his grace. His grace is going to empower us to learn how to use these pieces of armor because our souls and the souls of our loved ones are at stake. In this episode, we are going to be focusing on the breastplate of righteousness. It is the second piece of armor that we are told to put on in Ephesians 6:14, when St. Paul says, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth, we talked about that last week, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. All right, so to understand the breastplate of righteousness, That's like such a mouthful for me. So I keep having to like stop and think. All right, the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to break it down by talking first about uh, the breastplate and then we're going to talk about righteousness. So I think a breastplate is pretty straightforward. It's a chest covering that's going to uh, protect your vital organs in the chest region, right? That makes, makes sense. Um, And and like I said, the goal is to protect our vital parts, like your heart, you know, that's kind of an essential piece, an essential piece that you want to be working. (laughs) So for that reason, you want your breastplate or today you would want your bulletproof vest to be impenetrable. Now you might get bruised underneath your breastplate, but you're not going to be mortally injured, right? Because nothing is supposed to get through your breastplate, maybe. See, there, there it goes again. I'm going to get tongue-tied over this word for this whole episode. So excuse me while I just blah, 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 blah <laughs> every time I have to say the word breastplate. Anyways, you, you want to make sure that your breastplate is impenetrable. That's the point. Moving on. What's righteousness? When I think about righteousness, the first thing I think about is the eighth beatitude, which says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Okay. Let's keep that in mind. We're not going to talk about that right now, but we'll come back to that in a minute. What I want to do is look at what righteousness is not, right? I want to look at two big misconceptions about righteousness. The first way to look at righteousness that is wrong, but you see it, it's pretty common. It's this belief that people can do the right thing all the time if they just white knuckle it, if they just bear down, if they just discipline themselves, they can always do the right thing basically by their own power. Now, here's a little side note. People who think that way and live that way, a lot of times they also live their lives as if to earn God's love by first being righteous. And then once they've accomplished this righteousness, then God will love them if they fail in their righteousness, if they fail to do the right thing, if they slip up, God will stop loving them. Okay, this is not only wrong, it's a heresy. I mean, I know I I don't like to use the H word a lot because it's so harsh, 
but it is from the heresy of Pelagianism. And I think I might've talked about it. I'm having this deja vu moment, but if I didn't, if, or if you don't remember, it's a heresy from the fourth century that rejected the doctrine of original sin and basically believed that by your own free will, by your own powers, you could attain perfection. And that's contrary to scripture, right? St. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So the truth is we can be righteous by God's grace. The other common misconception about righteousness comes from Protestantism. I've known a few Catholics who used to be Protestant and at around the time of their conversion, they said that they really struggled to wipe this false understanding of righteousness from their way of thinking and seeing God and their salvation. Because what they were taught was they're such big sinners that they are synonymous with a big pile of of dung. But Jesus came and he died for them. And when he did that, he covered up their sin. He covered up the dung pile that is them so that when the father looks at them, he doesn't see their crappiness, like their literal crappiness. All they see is Jesus because Jesus is blocking the father from seeing who they are, right? This, in my opinion, is kind of dumb, right? It's like pulling the wool over God's eyes, or should I say pulling the shepherd over God's eyes? No? Bad joke? Okay. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. But I do think that this is a really dumb explanation because why would God want a whole bunch of piles of dung around him. I mean, the smell would just become horrific. What he really and truly does is transform us. Jesus came to transform our sinfulness into his own image and likeness. It's like St. Athanasius said, God became man that man may become like God. So now that we've gone over some big misconceptions about what righteousness is not, we've also kind of uncovered pieces uh, to help us explain what righteousness actually is. And what we've basically said is that by means of grace and our cooperation with that grace and our acceptance of that grace, the Lord transforms us into his image and likeness. The Lord transforms us into Jesus's righteousness. So righteousness is the person of Jesus Christ. Righteousness is the glory of Jesus. Now, if we return back to the first thing that popped into my head when I thought about righteousness being the beatitude that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that makes so much sense, right? Because we are hungering and we're thirsting for Jesus, which we do actually get to eat and drink of in the Eucharist. All right, so we have an answer, but it's not the most detailed specific answer. I want something more specific. And St. John Chrysostom, he actually provides that. He says that St. Paul is referring to the breastplate of righteousness. He's actually talking about a life of universal virtue, which makes perfect sense because Christ is the epitome of a life of universal virtue. So that means, drumroll please, righteousness is living a life of Christ's virtue. We do get confirmation that St. Paul is referring to a life of virtue when he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Because when he writes to the Thessalonians, he tells them to put on the breastplate of faith and of love. And love and faith are what? They are virtues. Okay, so I do need to raise a question here. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth and we said that it referred to Jesus, which it does. Today, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness and we're saying that it refers to Jesus, specifically a life of Jesus's virtue, right? But still, Jesus nonetheless, both refer to Jesus. So why go through the trouble of calling one a belt of truth and the other a breastplate of righteousness when they're going to refer to one in the same thing? Okay, hold that thought. 
We're going to get there. First, let's explore what a life of virtue is so that we can compare the two pieces of armor. All right, so righteousness, we're going to go with the specific explanation, you know, uh, uh, the explanation that it is virtue, right? It is Jesus, but it is a life of Jesus's virtue, right? You get that. Okay, so what is virtue? The Catechism, it's paragraph 133, says that virtue is habitual and firm disposition to do good. And I'm not a big fan of this explanation of a virtue. I feel like it falls flat. It just doesn't paint the whole picture. It doesn't show how glorious a virtue is or virtue in general is. The way I like to explain it is to say that a virtue is a good habit that adds something to your soul. And that positive addition to your soul is going to compound within your soul. And it's, it's going to also create positive effects that are going to dispose you to want to elicit, to want to seek out more good acts. So two things are happening here, something from nature and something from grace. From nature, you give the best of yourself. You're exercising your will. From grace, that compounding effect that I mentioned, that has grace written all over it because for living a life of moral virtue, that's sustainable because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because of the grace of God. So to recap, putting on the breastplate of righteousness is to live a virtuous life that requires habits and grace. So how does this affect our spiritual battle? How do the virtues transform your life and help you in this spiritual battle that you're going to fight all the time? Well, really, it's a lot of interior work. Now, last week when we discussed the belt of truth, we also talked about how our household was our base camp. And we also mentioned how it needs to be impenetrable and how the belt of truth, which is Jesus, all there to shore up the fortress that is our household. So that makes it a place of strength and of peace so that we're not out of commission before we've even been called into action. Okay, well, the breastplate of righteousness does something similar around the heart so that the virtues, they can transform your soul, right? Do you see that the breastplate covers the heart? So that's where all of the transformation is going to happen within your heart. The virtues are going to transform your heart. They're going to transform your soul. Okay, well, this is where that distinction comes in between the belt and the breastplate. So when we were talking about the belt of truth yesterday, that or yesterday, last week, it operated on more of an exterior level, right? Because the belt of truth surrounded the soul with Jesus, whereas the breastplate, it operates more interiorly, forming the soul to become like Christ by living a life of universal virtue. And how is this going to give us a tactical advantage on the battlefield? Well, let me give you a little bit more St. John Chrysostom. He has really, oh my gosh, I have been loving what he's been saying about this. Anyways, What he says is this, and I'm going to paraphrase because the English is weird. Such a life of universal virtue, no one will ever be able to overthrow. Many wound him, but no one cuts through him, not even the devil himself. He's talking about universal virtue and the breastplate of righteousness at the same time here. And he's basically saying that no one is ever going to be able to cut you to your core, including the enemy. And if that's not enough of a tactical advantage for you, here's another one. We find freedom when we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Think about that. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're living a virtuous life, right? Now you no longer need to think about what's right or wrong anymore, right? Because you're so inclined to doing the right thing, doing the virtuous thing, right? You're free now to focus on the other things that God is calling you to do. You're not stumbling 
over any of these vices or sins that the enemy is trying to put in your way and trying to trip you up with. When you live a life of virtue with the breastplate of righteousness firmly strapped to your chest, that's not a problem. Now you can focus on the mission God has given you, the vocation he's given you, the children and the family he's entrusted to your care, right? Now you can focus on those big things and not worry about all the little snares of the devil. So how do you grow in virtue? How do you make a virtuous life so second nature to you? It's habit. A lot of it is habit. It's continual repetition of the virtues. Um, I would suggest learning more about the virtues. There's three categories. Technically, you'll only find two of them listed in the catechism. Um, You have the theological virtues. Those have to do with God. Those are faith, hope, and love, and they're going to bring you supernatural happiness, and they're going to require grace in order to attain them, right? They are a gift given by God. Um, So we have to look beyond ourselves in order to attain these virtues. And then you have the cardinal virtues, which are also referred to as the natural virtues, because by your own nature, you can form habits to grow in these four cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. They don't require you to have the theological virtues. However, if you think about it, everything in life is a grace. So for us to grow in any virtue, I believe it's going to take some of God's grace as well as your own habits. And the third category of virtues, which you will not find listed in the catechism, are the lively virtues, sometimes called the heavenly virtues. These are the virtues that counteract the deadly sins or the capital sins. They are actually acknowledged. I do want to say that in the catechism. Catechism paragraph 1866 is talking about vices, right? And vices and virtues, they're opposites to each other, right? And it says that vices can be classified according to the virtues that they oppose or also be linked to the capital sin, right? So that's the concept of the lively virtues. The seven deadly sins are pride, lust, envy, gluttony, sloth, anger, and greed. So in order to counteract those in your life, to heal from those, obviously go to confession, but (laughs) grow in the opposing virtue, which would be, you know, you want to cultivate that opposing virtue, which would be humility, chastity, kindness, temperance, diligence, meekness, and generosity. If you did not have time to write those down, don't worry about it. Those are in the show notes, as well as links to where you can also find information about the theological and cardinal virtues in the catechism. Now, what I'm going to do when I end this episode, I think I'm going to go the route of the lively virtues. We'll see. Um, Yeah, I'm going to discern that. I'm going to figure out which lively virtue I need to work on and if that is exactly what God wants me to work on in order to make sure that I'm on the right path and I'm in God's will in this, I'm going to discern. If you don't know how to discern, if you need a little bit of help, I have an episode on discernment. It's called Making Decisions the Catholic Way, Discernment 101. And I know it's another shameless plug, but it'll help you to discern what virtue the Lord wants you to work on and the best way for you to do that now. Growing in virtue seems like a little bit of a battle itself, doesn't it? But as we grow in virtue, it's going to become easier and easier over time. Think about wearing a suit of armor. At first, the first time you put it on, it's going to be very heavy, but you're going to develop the muscles necessary in order for you to wear it correctly and with ease. All right. And if you need any sort of encouragement, look at the saints. Read some lives of the saints. These are people who were exemplary in living a life of virtue. I personally find it helpful to remind myself that with a life of virtue 
comes freedom. Freedom to answer God's call, freedom to fight in the battle that he wants me to fight in, not in the battles that the enemy is trying to sidetrack me with. Think about that for a second. The enemy is strategic, but God's also strategic. You know, God has a plan for you. He has specific battles that he wants you to fight in because you're the only person that can fight in that battle because of the way that he created you. The enemy knows that and he does not want you to be able to complete those missions, right? And that's real talk. We cannot forget that. Mm. And also, when you are practicing a life of universal virtue, when you're getting comfortable with wearing your breastplate of righteousness and you're developing the muscles in order to wear it well and to wear it correctly, remember that you're becoming who you were meant to be. And as St. Gregory of Nyssa says, the goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. God is a warrior king. Hello, prophecies of Isaiah much, right? They were expecting a warrior king because that's who God is, right? And you are being transformed into his image and likeness. You are going to be so full of virtue that you are going to fill out that breastplate of righteousness so much with so much virtue that the 300 and all of their airbrushed muscles, abs, and pecs and whatnot, they're going to have nothing on you. And I am so excited. I am really, really excited to see how the virtues enhance and they shape your life. So you go on and grow in some virtue and I will talk to you next week. Until then, peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.